0: You know, none of us are experts on topics and these challenges that we face, whether it be systemic racism, police brutality, all these different things, and it's important to learn so you have an informed opinion and and a comprehensive opinion. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go.
1: Sangram here. Hope everybody is doing good. Uh, This is the fourth of our series right now on passing the mic. And guess what? I've been able to keep a counter at the top. We'll start in about 15 seconds. Uh, And gosh, what a learning it has been. A lot of you have asked, like, where are going to find all this information. It will be on Flip and the Phone podcast. Uh, We will record, we're recording every one of these and putting it online and uh, also if you go to my profile on linkedin you you will see that um or our facebook wherever you are watching this uh, but there's been a fantastic series so far and i'm super pumped because today i got to to ch- talk to my friend um kwami who has been doing some really cool stuff so let me help me welcome Kwame over here Kwame, how you doing man good man good morning how's it going i am good um and i am learning um uh, is is all i can say right now this whole week has been more of that is like how can i how can, how much can i shut up and listen that has been a learning experience in and itself for me uh, yeah. but uh tell me more man Tell me tell, tell me more how's your family doing how are uh things in uh, in the whole startup as people join in uh just tap in where you're from so that we get to know you yeah no
0: well again thanks for having me on on the show and uh, you know, happy to hear that you're taking time uh, to actually learn. I think the country um, needs more of that. You know, none of us are experts on topics and these challenges that we face, uh, whether it be systemic racism, police brutality, all these different things. And it's important to learn so you have an informed opinion and and a comprehensive opinion. So I, you know, applaud you for taking time to learn First, which is important, um, but yeah, thanks for having me on, Kwame Johnson, President and CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters Metro Atlanta. Uh, we've been here for 60 years. This is actually our 60 year anniversary that we will never forget because of COVID and all that you know happened. But uh, yeah, we made it to 60 years and, and want to uh, push for another 60 years. And uh, you know, we're all about mentoring, helping young people reach their full potential uh, through relationships, um, defending the potential of young people. Uh, through relationships, and we have really good results uh, showing that kids can go to the next grade level, they can graduate high school, uh, they can be productive and, and, and reach their goals, and that's what I think any society needs, and we need more of it in, in today's time.
1: No doubt, man, no doubt. Um, and let's let's welcome like Damodar, he's from India listening. Uh, we got Courtney here. Um, good to see you, Courtney here. Uh, she's with the leadership with Bob Lewis organization here in Atlanta. So good to see her. Uh, Erica uh, It's always good. Amy uh, from New York. Um, yeah, Teresa is coming in, joining in. So there's a lot of folks you know, jumping in. So I'm going to be pulling in any questions people have. So as you have questions, just jump in because this is fourth in the series. And some of uh, like 14 and Erica and Teresa, they have been on almost every one of them. Which I just wanted to say thank you to all of them for just tuning in and taking the time out of there to listen, because that is one thing that I'm hearing from everybody. Let's not even pretend that we completely understand get it. Like there's just so much to learn and understand. So for me, here's what I've done um, before I get into questions is I have an opening statement that I've shared every time to set the stage for the conversation. And the moment just jump in your story, your upbringing and start quickly pivoting towards recommendations what can organizations do what can individuals do what can people of different races do and i always want to come back to out of this with a couple of recommendations for people think that there shouldn't be any excuse for like not doing something the only excuse would be that well i didn't do it because i didn't want to because if you yeah. want to there are ways to do it and, and i thought there would be anybody better than you to kind of talk about that because you are Part of this Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and Mentorship organization out there. So here's my opening statement. For those who haven't, don't know yet, I'm neither white nor black, just to make it clear. <laughs> so I don't fully really pretend uh, or partially to, uh, to comprehend what it means to be an African-American. But I'm a person, I'm a human, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm a community builder. So I believe it is my duty to understand what is going on and why. It is my duty to learn where my bias lies and how to overcome it. And it's my duty to be part of the solution and bring hope to the world where three things that I hold dear to myself, which is trust, safety, and care should become the common values for everyone. So I believe I close this is I believe it is my duty to allow myself and to allow everybody who's listening to this to learn, to grow, and to tell, hopefully, a different story of unity, love, and grace, not race, to our children and grandchildren. So I've, I've been saying that as an opening statement because I've been making sure that, hey, look, I'm, I don't want to pretend here that I get everything and understand everything. And I want this to be truly passing the mic and let your story be told. And I read, Kwame, your article that you just recently posted on you know, AJC. And would you be open to sharing what you wrote in that article and especially the early childhood during your time um, during that time and what happened during that changed the course of your life?
0: No, no, definitely. You know, And I love your, your opening statement. First of all, it's very powerful. Uh, and I just love that you're being open and, and bringing folks together to have different conversations because we just don't do that enough. We don't talk about these topics. We don't talk about race. Uh, and I think you got to get a little uncomfortable to get to a solution sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm born and raised in, in Syracuse, New York, uh, way upstate, which Syracuse typically doesn't get counted as a New York place, but it, but it is. And, and actually, Syracuse has the most snow in the country, if people don't know that, and also the most poverty uh, for, for the country um, by concentration. So Syracuse is number one for snow and number one for poverty. So really not a, the best place. Uh, Detroit is number two for poverty, for minorities. Syracuse is number one. Most people just don't know that. You know, my parents were both community advocates. My mother was on the school board, uh, was a nurse by trade, first African-American woman to be elected to be uh, president of the school board in Syracuse. Uh, my father was a teacher and an administrator in, in different public schools for over 30 years. Uh, so they really gave me my grounding in service and community and trying to get back, because uh, that's what they did their whole in, entire career. Growing up in Syracuse as a young person navigating a lot of different challenging situations and making a ton of bad decisions myself, uh, landed me uh, in jail at 17. Um, so I'm, I'm a, a minor uh, in jail my senior year in high school, uh, a very pivotal point in time. You know, I'm almost to the finish line to get out. And uh, make it out of high school, uh, but I had a lot of people, mentors, come into my life. My track coach was a big support, uh, helped advocate, be there for me, would bring me my schoolwork. I did my senior year behind bars, doing schoolwork behind bars, and I made history of becoming the first kid ever in the United States to take the SATs behind bars. And uh, yeah, so now other kids can take their SATs. It's a unique situation to do that. Uh, most. Kids in jail don't take their STs. Unfortunately, most kids aren't focused on education in jail. It's not really about rehabilitation, it's about other things. And, but I was able to do that, get out of high school and go off to college. And I made a bold decision at the age of 20 to leave college and to not become an entrepreneur, but a social entrepreneur. Uh, I just kept thinking about all the kids I met in jail. The 50 young men who had very challenging stories, very much more challenging than mine. I was a kid in a good home that just made some bad decisions. And those stories uh, propelled me to go to D.C. and, and just go you know, head first into the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. and try to create change and try to prevent other young people from going down the path uh, that I went through. So I've been here doing this since I was 20. I'm 37 now. And I've been running Big Brothers Big Sisters for two years, and I couldn't be more honored and proud because of the work that we do. And 98% of the kids we work with never touch the criminal justice system. Uh, 95% graduate on time. You know, so solutions that I try to uh, not only make happen here in Atlanta, but hopefully can show for the country what's possible, you know, through my own personal story and journey, but also through what the work I've done around the country to help young people get, get to the next level. Uh, the AJC article has, has been a big hit. The title of it was uh, you don't have to fear me. And the reason I picked that title uh, came out of some training I went through. Like I said, this is all about learning. I went through uh, what's called race day, which is a part of leadership Atlanta. You know, I was honored to be a part of the 2020, you know, Class of Leadership Atlanta. And we had a session on race and we spent two days just talking about race. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we can dive more into that. Uh, but that just shows you how much time you have to spend on these topics to really understand it. And a few things came out of that day. And, and one was that there, there's been a lot of situ- cases that uh, black men in particular are feared. And that is what creates some of these other challenges that come about uh, through racism. And so I just wanted to go right at it and say, hey, you don't got to fear me. Uh, I'm on your side. I'm I'm your friend. I'm here to to help. And that's what our country needs more of. And then I also talked about in an article uh, the work that we do through relationships, you know, in bringing different races together. We have over 1,500 matches, bigs and littles working together and mentoring relationships And in many cases, those are uh, uh, you know white person mentoring a black person or Hispanic person mentoring a white person. There's different races coming together, and powerful things are happening. And I want to do more of that.
1: Dude, I love that. Can everybody give a thumbs up to to Kwame for doing SAD out of jail and actually changing the course of history Mm -hmm. for next people to come through that uh, for whatever unfortunate circumstances because. Guess what? We all have made bad, bad choices, and some of us failed at the purpose of that at that time. And I wonder—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm being very much uh, intentional about this question, probably. Like, I wonder: Are you grateful for that time that you have to be in the jail that changed the course of your career? Because when I met you, what five years ago or something, to. Terminals, and we're the CEO of uh, Parma Learning. Um, we, uh, as part of we, we can partnered up with you. you uh, I remember your speech uh, and our gala uh, that we had. You yeah. flipping funnels, and how the education system needs to be flipped. I still remember that. Yeah, and how I'm like that is that means who you are. Yes, it, 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 you know, I was
0: lucky to find my passion at a young age. We you know, we talk a lot about passion and purpose, and your why, and I meet so many people uh in the nonprofit sector or in the you know corporate side uh, who have not found their passion in life and they struggle and they 're not happy. I found my passion at seventeen you know i I knew at that point um, because again i i I came from a really strong upbringing and to be now you know, forced it to a situation where I'm in in the mountains of New York in a in a jail, and I get to learn the stories of of 50 young men. Um, one that comes to mind, uh, you know, I could spend hours talking about this stuff. But Alvin, uh, I met there, and Alvin would always get into fights and and go to the hole. And if you get in a fight, you go to the hole for 15 days, and the hole is a very tough place, uh, especially for minors. And I'm I'm happy to share that last year it is no longer legal to put minors into the hole in New York State. And I did a lot of work around that. But when I was in there, it wasn't illegal. Uh, So minors were in the hole. And I said to Alvin, I said, man, why do you keep going to the hole, man? Why are you keeping in fights? He said to me, something I'll never forget. He said, Quam, he said, your father comes to visit you every week. He said, my father's in the next unit and I met him here for the first time. that, That was Alvin's story and his reality. And he was angry. And as a result, his his life just continued to go down and down, and um, now he's you know in and out of the hole and a jail at the age of seventeen. So those stories, you know, motivated me uh, to, to change my, myself and also to to do this work. Uh, but yeah, I would never, I would never trade that experience in. I, I'm glad I went through that, and um, uh, I think it was part of my journey.
1: Man, that is that is such a powerful story. What? when you came out of it and I'm thinking about like in the hiring process today, mm-hmm. if somebody has a criminal record, especially at any given time, I think they don't even go through an opportunity to to be hired in many organizations today. Yeah. Here I'm listening to your story and I'm like, well, that's a story of transformation. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many people would actually even give that a chance to to look at it unless, so how did you, how were you able to go from that history to turn it around and actually become a successful social entrepreneur that is having a real impact in the jail system, in the education system, through partner learning, and now through mentorship system? Like, how did you turn it around? Yeah, so, you know,
0: I, you know, I was fortunate to have a lot of mentors and my family, my parents, you know, a lot of folks around me to help me along the way. Um, Steve Maynard, my track coach, Robert Woodson, my first job, Terrence Math, you know, these are different people who along the way help helped guide me. Um, you know, the difference with my story is that, you know, part of uh, you know one of the benefits I received is that I was a minor, so my record was sealed. So I never had on an application box check that I've been in jail or anything. However, I get on Everyone I, I talk to, I tell about the story, so it, it's out there in the ether. You look me up, it's out there. So I'm not I'm not running from that. But there are many people who don't have that luxury, who have a, a mark on their record, and uh, you know I'm glad that the country is starting to move more along in a better place around that, and uh, not just looking at someone's criminal background and giving the person a second chance. There's been a lot of criminal justice reform, a lot of which I've been involved in, removing the box from the college applications. Job applications, uh, and there's a lot more work that needs to be done done there. Because if in many cases, if you do have a record, um, you're not going to get a good look uh, at a job. So, and it's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm curious now, and uh, I'm loving the conversation that's happening here. Um, Carolyn, um, Young says that hey, uh, thank you Kwame for your story and, and bringing the stories up front, um, and then they're they're all talking. Uh, among themselves, which is really awesome. I think, uh, Tommy, you could actually see that too. So yeah. it's fantastic that how this community has just come in and embracing and building relationship among them and with the stories that you're telling. Mm-hmm. You are going on the record and talking about these stories of you going to the jail. Tommy, you and I know each other for four or five years. I did not know about you, about this, until I read the AJC article. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a myth. For me, to not know the whole side of you, and that is one of my greatest learning in this level. I've just missing people's story, like what, whatever history they have. I've just missed it because we, we're not comfortable in many ways talking about uncomfortable situations. And you started with that. I don't know if you were in the recording or private recording where you said that you gotta get uh, be open to have uncomfortable conversations. Can you dial into that as to how you are encouraging people to have these conversations at work, through your organization, through different things that they could be doing? Because I get this question all the time. I don't know what to do. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: so, so a couple of things. And, and I start a lot with my story. And my story is not most people's story. I have a unique story. And I use the story for one, I'm comfortable with it and it takes time to get to that point, but also to encourage other people to share their stories. Yeah. And when I get up and tell my staff or I speak in front of a group, I always say, Your story is important too. That's how we connect as people. We connect through storytelling. If you go back to cavemen and cave women, our brains are conditioned to learn through storytelling. And that's why storytelling is so important. But you allow people to feel comfortable, get vulnerable. When you open yourself up and say, man, I was in jail when I was 17. They're like, okay, man, man well, let me tell you, this person that I, you know, I was abused when I was 16, and you know, I never told anybody. But since you told me that, I feel comfortable with you. So I'm gonna share. So, storytelling enables people to really open up and feel comfortable. So, I started a baseline with that. And I also tell young professionals, young people, you need to own your story and tell your story. You need, to, you need to let the world know who you are and what makes you different. I don't care about your college degrees and all these who are you and what's your story? You know, I tell you, I, I, I spoke in front of our graduating class of seniors this past week, had about 70 seniors go to, the next grade, go to the next level. And I told them that their story was their superpower is what makes them different and what makes them very unique. So we started a baseline with that. And then as it relates to uncomfortable questions, conversations, it makes it a lot easier because we're already open. Yeah. You know, we're already talking about what we got going on, we're already being vulnerable, and those kind of things, but I think as it relates to these topics that we're dealing with as a country, it goes back to your point of making sure we're informed and and, and, and what I encourage people to do is to to rely on professionals as it relates to that. when you're talking about systemic racism and police brutality and systemic, all these different heavy topics, you need to make sure whoever's leading that discussion is a professional because if not, it can, it can go a lot of different ways, and these are, these are very emotional topics, and you need to have the right people in the room. So that's something we're working on as an organization as it relates to this, making sure our staff uh, have proper training around implicit bias. You mentioned that. We all have biases um, around systemic racism and what that means. You know, our bigs and littles are reaching out to us, asking us questions about how do I talk to my little about what's going on with George Floyd? and. You know how do I deal with these different things? So we want to be a resource uh, to everyone, to our staff, and also to the community around these these topics, uh, so that folks feel more comfortable about it.
1: Uh, I love that, man. And here's like Kai talking about storytelling gives an opportunity for people to be vulnerable and help others. And the more I love, I wrote it down. Like your story is your superpower. I think that's absolutely great. There's a few, a lot more commentary coming in. I think you know. I saw some comment. There you go. Here, here's a question from Megan. Do you feel like these conversations need to lead, do need to be led by people of color? It's, it's Megan.
0: a great question. You know, as an organization, we're, we're right now exploring a couple different trainings, which I, I think everyone should do as a baseline. Uh, one is a training around implicit bias. Another, another is the one around, um, you know, systemic racism, just making sure folks are grounded in those two very big topics. Um, my thought is to have two facilitators, a white and a black facilitator. That was my initial thinking. You know, the reality is that, you know, I'm seeing certain things as a black man with a bald head and, and a couple of muscles, it may turn off certain people. First it coming from someone they can identify with more. And when you go go through race training and learn about these different things, they really matter. So I would prefer two. I would, prefer, you know, if, if if you could have three of you—a woman, a man, a black, white—it'd be great to have that perspective. But I think that is not ideal in most situations for a training to have sort of three facilitators. But in many cases, uh, black people do not want to have to always lead these conversations. When I wrote the AJGC article, I got tons of you know responses, and all that is is great. And, and a lot of people come to me and say, "Hey, Kwan, educate me on racism or strategic race. Educate me on these things." In reality is I'm not an expert on that. First of all, I'm a black man in America and I know a lot and I've, you know, learned a lot, but I'm not an expert. I'm not, even though I know I may know how to play golf, that does not mean I know how to teach you how to play golf. You know, golf is, it seems easy, but golf is very hard. It's technique and all these different things, balls and type of clubs. And sometimes you need to make sure you get a professional you know, training. you. But to go back to that question, I think, having uh, two facilitators and and don't always rely on someone of uh, color to lead these conversations.
1: Kwame, how has your organization impacted? So maybe you can just give a little bit more about what do Big Brothers and Big Sisters do? And how has your organization been impacted? How you have pivoted in some of the areas that you were talking before, uh, before we started to record? I would love to learn more about that.
0: No, no, definitely. So at the core of what we do is we, we, we bring uh, bigs and littles together. So bigs are adults, uh, 21 and up, men and women who want to mentor and get back in the community. Littles are young people uh, in, in the community ages 8 to uh, 18 who we support. So our team here actually goes through the process of making those matches. So that starts with an onboarding process for the bigs and an onboarding process uh, for the littles. Before all this happened, before COVID, that would all be, most of that would be done in person. We would have you come in and do an orientation where you get to learn about big brothers and big sisters, you know, ask questions for an hour, see if this is a good fit. You would then do an application um, so we can get to, you know, look at your background, you know, understand your work schedule, and then you would do an interview. Where we would sit down like this and ask you questions about your background and why you want to do this and your childhood. All throughout this process, I'm making sure you're a good fit for the program and a good fit for kids. After that, we would train you. And that's something I want to talk a little bit more because we're going to be improving that even more so now. Mm -hmm. We would train you on how to become a mentor. So you are prepared. You may have never mentored someone before. You may not know about child safety. There are a number of topics we would train you on. And then once you're trained, In match, you would be matched with a young person of your choice based on where you live. We make sure that you're near the young person. We make sure it's the right fit, that you all are going to be compatible. And we use a lot of technology, similar to match.com and eHarmony, to to make sure it's a perfect match. And uh, then we match you in a match meeting with the young person. Once you're matched, you receive a coach from my team who supports you to make sure you're successful through the life of the match. If questions come up, you know, the George George Ford situation. How do I talk about this with my little? If, if you're trying to figure out what to do with them and ha- how to hang out. So what we ask for, if you are going to be a big brother, or a big sister, we ask for a year commitment, because we know if you come in a young person's life and you leave within a year, you can do more damage. And we ask for about eight to 12 hours a month uh, that you spend with that young person. So that, that's how the process works. And since we're now in COVID, we've moved all of those things online where you can do your orientation, your interview, your training all online and, and then get matched. So we're always you know, putting that out there because we still need more big brothers and big sisters. And I'll, I'll put that uh, to your audience uh, because we definitely, definitely still need that. As related relates to our training in, in the recent events that have been going on, we're, we're asking ourselves, what more training could we provide our bigs before they go out into the field? If you're a white male and you're gonna be matched with a, a black boy, we need to make sure you know about implicit bias. Because if not, you may be harming harmful to that young person when you all out in the community. You may not know, be aware of your biases. You know, if you're not aware of what systemic racism is and how it works, and, and how that affects young people, particular people of color in Atlanta, you're Ill, ill-informed. So those those are the things we're thinking about and how we can do that better, mm-hmm. provide more support to our bigs and littles. Because if you think about it, we have fifteen hundred relationships. I can't think of any other organizations that has that many people coming together in an intentional relationship, and in many cases, of different races. So I see it as an opportunity for folks who are coming together from very different races, back- backgrounds, coming together to support each other. Because in these relationships, the big is putting something in, but also the little is putting something in. And in many cases, they don't realize. Because when you talk to our bigs, they say, man, I'm getting more out of this than I'm getting. That is the main thing I hear. Their life is being impacted the same way the young person's life is getting impacted. So relationships are just powerful, and I'm just glad to be a part of our organization. And it's all
1: about relationships. I love that man. I, I really, really love that. I think as an organization, we were talking yesterday it, from all of these conversations that mentorship is probably one of the most important things we could do, like right now. Yes. And everybody in the organization, in the leadership team, we we're talking about this is like, well. And what I'm hearing as feedback is like, if you are in a mentorship position today, then mentor someone who is of a different gender or a different race. And the same goes backwards for if you're a young professional listening to this today, go find a mentor of a different gender or a different race. In either cases, you're likely to get more out of that than just a professional learning. But as a person, it will really complete, which is the biggest learning for me right now is knowing the person as a whole and understanding your biases or not be ill-informed, as you said before, because that is something that a lot of people, look, I don't even see this. I don't see color. And, and I hear that and I, I feel the same at the same time. Well, but you don't, some others do. And definitely the person of color sees that and feels that when that person walks in the room and is the only person like Let's not, like that, we, let's not pretend that we can walk in that shoe when we are not in that sort of surrounding. So, so I think the mentorship part is huge. So I will ask to the community who's listening, this goes on fliponfunnel.com to, to again, over 100,000 people who listen to this. Uh, we'll be on LinkedIn Live. And we'll be on a whole bunch of things as to like find and hopefully people would uh, support these conversations. Yes. Kwame, what brings you in the current situation with all these things going on, what brings you hope? Like me, what, what helps me or what, what do you mean? What brings me home? Like, um, like what, what makes you so hopeful about the future? What makes you so like, well, yeah, things are going to change or things are changing or things that you're doing are impacting. Like, because a lot of people I hear more of like, well, it's the same thing. Like I've heard conversations, this is like 20 years ago and it's, it hasn't really changed. There is certain things at the same time, like I think we all can probably also see that, well, no, some things have changed and some things have been addressed. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're a great example of that yourself. Like you're an inspiration to hopefully millions right now, like whoever listens to this story because you're open, you're transparent, you're not hiding anything, you're starting with your story and owning it. Like there's just so many lessons that I'm learning from this. So I feel like I'm just more inspired and hopeful just after this conversation but I'm also hearing a lot of people are just almost like, well, this is a hopeless situation.
0: Yeah. And, and I think sometimes you become hopeless because you try to boil the ocean and it's nearly impossible to boil the ocean particularly as an individual. So my hope comes from what I feel like I can have influence over and, and have con- control over. You know, I made a, a commitment a long time ago to, to work with young people, with kids. I'm not against adults. I'm an adult, but adults are very difficult and uh, I'm not as hopeful that they will change. Uh, However, I do think children have a chance to change. Uh, children, in many cases, are born into things that they had no choice for and are just trying to figure it out. So I've decided to put my hope into kids and to spend my time there. Um, and hopefully the kids maybe one day will help the adults Adults change. As it relates to systemic racism, uh, that is not um, something that um, I, as a black man, can change. Where systemic racism, when you go through the training, you'll learn that it only really can be changed by white people, in particular white men who control uh, all the systemic racism systems that we all face. Um, so until that happens, I and mean, I'm hopeful because I do see a lot of diversity in the protests and I'm a supporter of peaceful protests. Just to make that clear. But that is the only way we get in front of those type of big, wicked issues. But until then, I'll continue to be hopeful that we can still help young people make uh, the best of their lives, reach their full potential in spite of racism, in spite of the things that may or may not uh, change. I've just seen so many young people make it in in spite of. I've seen so many people make it and achieve against the odds. Um, I'm one story, but there's a number of other stories that I know of. In our program, I've shared with you the results. So we can still move forward as a country. I just want to continue to do that more and bigger. And uh, I think in Atlanta, we have an opportunity. You know, we mentor 1,500 kids right now, but there's potential for thousands and more and more and more kids that we can mentor and we can produce these results that we're talking about. I think if Atlanta can adopt mentoring as a part of the culture, is if the business community can adapt mentoring as a part of culture, not just mentoring professionally, but mentoring someone. Uh, some young person who, who who doesn't have all that you have, uh, Atlanta can be a much better city and, ho- and hopefully one day an example for the rest of the country.
1: I, I really love that. And I, I made a note on that, not just mentor within the organization, but outside the organization, because that's mm-hmm. something that that is probably more important right now, because if you're a professional, you kind of are already dealing with it and are learning with it. And, and it's important, but you know, outside. so. Here's, here's Julie uh, saying that I love the candor and authenticity. We need more conversations like this. John talking about like implicit bias is there uh, and self-awareness is the, key in, uh, is the key to all of this. I love Amber's point and, and Teresa talking about like this is necessary, but change is also required. A conversation about racism training on how to identify and avoid microaggressions, which I've heard the phrase microaggressions probably more in the last week than ever before. And that may be just me being oblivious of microaggressions as a, as a term, but now I can, I can see the implicit bias uh, that comes with it. But if the workplace changes, such as pay, equity, and improved hiring practices and promotions based on skill across the board, um, this cycle will continue may eventually boil up again. So, yeah, I wonder what your thoughts on, on Teresa's comments are.
0: Yeah, no. This this is very in depth, and 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 a lot of very very good points. You know, we got to get to the root of all these challenges. Too often, we watch news, whether it be CNN or Fox, and we develop opinions and become experts on topics. And those those stations and channels are very limited, a very limited lens into the the big problem. Um, so I always encourage folks to be educated on the topic, and and that'll help you have a decision. Yes, the implicit bias piece is huge. We all have it. We have to admit to that and be aware of it so that when things happen in real time in a split second that microaggression, we're aware of that. You know, we we talked about the the whole color piece and you know what when you go through the training, they'll, they'll they'll teach you that you should actually see color. Because if you see color you see me. Right? That's what they teach you. If you see color you see me. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're different. We're all different. You know we you know I think Uh, we need to embrace everyone's that everyone is different and that when you see color, you see me. So these are things, and you know, there are a lot of well-intended people trying to work on these topics, Uh, but sometimes you're just not aware of your bodies or aware of things that you've experienced as a child. And um, you know, in in the training I went through, there was a whole session on um, how you became racist. Like where did you learn it? Because kids are not born racist and there's all types of studies around this and you know typically you're learning in the home at, sh- at school or at church and it was it's powerful to hear people sort of go through that process and talk about how to actually learn it um, because most people don't even think about that you know they just think about today
1: yeah wonder because you talked about mentorship and the mm-hmm. training that you 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 go through for the people it seems like a very Uh, deliberate process, but intentional process. It seems like you and your organization are taking a ton of care in making sure that the match is great and it's long lasting because as you said, if it's cut short, it can actually have a a, a much more dramatically negative impact um, because of the self-worth and all the things that might come with that, uh, especially for the young professional. Have you ever considered or, or is it part of the process where you could actually help organizations Become part of it and actually use the same training for them to learn for themselves in the organization.
0: Yes, you know that we, you know, we launched something called the Mentoring Institute last year with the idea of being a resource uh, to the community. You know, we're not the only mentoring organization. There's different types of mentoring. We're one-on-one mentoring. There's group mentoring. There's online mentoring. There are a number of ways to build relationships. Uh, we have been doing this for 60 years, so we got a lot of experience on making safe matches and supporting safe matches, and all that training I want to give to the community. So yeah. we've already done a lot of training with other groups, um, in particular some organizations on the west side. Uh, we partnered with the App Promise Center here, a great organization. we do going to be doing some training with them. There are other groups who who are already doing some type of mentoring, can learn from us, and we can work together. I'm a partnerships guy. I'm a I'm a training guy. I'm a collaboration guy. So in order to you know reach the you know hundreds of thousands of young people in Atlanta and Metro Atlanta uh, that could benefit from a mentor, uh, we're going to have to work with others and enable them to do the work too.
1: Yeah. I'm going to take this as an action item to, to follow up with you, Kwame, and our team is to figure out, well, if you already have these resources, why are we trying to, to recreate these resources? Why are we trying to recreate this and have and don't know what the conversation is? Because that's one of the things you've got is like, well... Just because I'm uh, of a different color doesn't make me an expert. And and you said it, and so many people have said it. Don't put me in charge of something that that, uh, my job is in marketing. My job is in sales. My job, I'm I'm an IT professional. I'm just like you. Just (laughs) because I'm a different color. Don't make me in charge of something that uh, apparently I need to be expert on just because of the color. So I've heard that way too many times. It's like, well, look at it this way. If your business has, let's say, a sales problem and your sales process is not working, what you typically would do is bring in a consultant or an expert from outside and say, hey, help us fix our sales problem. Because we don't know and we have training for it. There are lots of organizations do exactly that. Um, And we would think not even twice about these kind of things because we got to fix the problem. So I wonder when that will become about, you know, it just and I'm I'm talking this lately more on like you know, both gender as well as race because I feel like both of them are mm-hmm. and even gender within race is even worse uh, in 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 that if you really look at it that way so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 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 looking forward to the conversation we're like well wait a minute how can we as an organization just leverage the resources that you have and expose companies to organizations like yours. And let that just happen so that you don't have to take the, the organizations don't need to take this added thing. Oh my God, now we have to learn. No, you, you, you have organizations to partner up.
0: Yes. Yeah. No need to recreate the wheel. That has happened way too much, especially in our sector, the nonprofit sector, there's a lot of duplication and repetition. Um, But yeah, we, we already have the processes in place. We can plug right in. We have partnerships with corporations where we run their mentoring programs for them. So, yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's all about looking, like you said, for the experts who are doing it and versus trying to recreate the will. You know, I encourage everybody to, to go to our website and learn more. We're doing a lot around just being intentional about the role we can play in solving some of these issues and, and issues around race and bringing people together and being a community for healing. That's what we want to be. Mm-hmm. And that, we have a, a big campaign that we're running around that on our website at Big Brothers Big Sisters uh, Metro
1: I love that, man. So as we finish up, I want you to give a couple of recommendations. You could recreate some of it, but we have already talked about it. But like if somebody's listening to this right now and still saying, well, I don't know what to do like today. I want to take an action today on it um, and hear all these great ideas, but I don't know what I need to do. Uh, and maybe you could tailor that to someone who is a leader within the organization. Or someone who's just a young professional who is just trying to figure out how to could help
0: yeah, you know so you know number one would be you know make sure you're informed properly on the topic and uh, hold yourself accountable to do that. There's tons of resources out here on all these topics we talked about that whether it be strategic systemic racism, uh, gender, whether it be police brutality, make sure you're well informed. And if you are a leader in an organization, try to make sure you can get some of that type of training brought into your organization, so others others can benefit uh, for that. Um, I would you know encourage people to think about what can you make a big impact on as a person. What what are you uniquely talented at? What can you bring to the table to help create change? And I would say lean into that. You know, as you as I mentioned, what I'm doing is you know youth development. That, that's where I decided to lean in to help. Uh, the third would be, be you know a selfish plug would be to think about you know is a big brother, big sister, a good fit for you right now? Because uh, we have a couple hundred kids on a waiting list. And we talked about the results and what happens. And, uh, you know, you can sign up on our website and you can become a big sister, big brother right now, today. And we can help you go through that process because we need, you know, more, you know, more bigs and more, more, more folks to help us with the work. You can also donate to support the work that we're doing on our website to help us uh, do more of that and navigate through the COVID crisis. And then the fourth piece would be you get comfortable with your story. Um, I, I just meet too many people who aren't comfortable with their story. And it, it's a it's a, a crutch. It's a, a barrier in their professional and personal life. Um, so get comfortable with your story. If I can get up here and tell you what I told you about me, you know, hopefully that enable you to feel like you can do that. You know, I tell people, you know, I told young people that, uh, you know, for our graduation, I wore a shirt, my Harvard shirt, because I went and did a program at Harvard. And I told them that to get into that program, it was an application, and in that application, I put my story. You know, when I got 40 under 40 at 35, a few years back, I put my story in that in that application. So I, I encourage people to get comfortable with their story. You know, lean in, learn as much as you can. Uh, don't rely on people that look like me to educate you on systemic racism. It, it's a burden sometimes for us because we're getting pulled in a lot of directions. Take in the initiative. Be a leader and, and, and create some change in this world.
1: I love this, man. This is so awesome, and i, I mean, you could see uh, the commentary that uh, that's coming in from folks, uh, Teresa and Amber. If we didn't get to this question uh, from Jamesina, Like, how's your uh, member and organization doing training, and how board members are engaging with with this? Um, and and I would encourage Kwame because we're running out of time. Is is to like you know if you or your organization could just look at the comments later on and just reach out to people, uh, respond to them. In some ways, I feel like there's a tons of questions that uh, that we could you know we could have gone through. Uh, but I want to close in with this two two comments. My takeaways is that if we can empower people to tell their story, and it starts with. You, whoever is listening to this right now, if you do that, that's the only way to empower. You can't go and tell people, tell your story and you don't you don't let even a small like rock hit the window of your life, then, that, then you're not going to be able to, to create that light that you want to create. So it starts with you. So empower everybody around you to tell your story. Maybe a lesson could be that go in your organization and make that one of your things that happens every month where people get to tell their story. And let doesn't have to make it about race. It doesn't have to make it about gender. But let people just tell their story. just makes everybody rise up. And I applaud you for sharing your story so openly, so courageously. And what's interesting is, as you said, that is your superpower now. That's what people are like, oh, my God. Like, that's what they want to actually and probably remember. So that's fantastic. So thank you. And then the other part is that there is enough resources out there. So if anybody right now still thinking, well, I don't know do enough about it, educate yourself. It is not the responsibility of another person of another color to help you be educated. There's enough resources. Go to your website, Big uh, Brothers Big Sisters MetroAtlanta.org. Is that your yeah? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Amy, please, uh, Amy, who's helping me put on on this, uh, if you could put the link in in it, please do that but educate yourself and maybe partner up with organizations like Kwame's where maybe you don't need as an organization to develop this new muscle in your organization. And a lot of organizations might feel like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. Well, you don't have to do it, but you need to show investment of your time and commitment to it. And there are organizations that have resources for it. So I'll tell you just a few from my own organization, but also for anybody who's listening to this. Again, Kwami. Thank you so much for t- bringing your whole self to this. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Uh, tomorrow, uh, just so everybody knows, tomorrow we're going to have our final interview in this series with Reggie Rivers. Reggie is the former NFL uh, player for Broncos. So I don't know if you're not Broncos fan, uh, but you still might want to tune in uh, and here because we're going to talk about in sports. So across the board from sales, marketing, leadership like Kwame just talked about and also in sports. And just learn as much as we can and then start the healing process, start the dressing process, take action to it. So again, Kwame, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening.
0: You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.